0: Chain of events, cause and effect. We analyze what went right and what went wrong as we discover that many outcomes can be predicted, planned for, and even prevented. I'm John Chiji, and this is Causality. Causality is part of the Engineered Network. To support our shows, including this one, head over to our Patreon page and for other great shows visit Engineered today. Gare de Lyon, on Monday evening, the 27th of June, 1988, at the height of rush hour in Paris, commuter train 153944 would cause what would become the third deadliest train disaster in peacetime France. Gare de Lyon services both intercity as well as commuter trains and is France's third busiest train station, carrying approximately 90 million passengers every year. The station itself opened on the 12th of August 1849 and is located on the northern bank of the Seine River on the eastern end of the city centre in Paris and it's about 13 minutes from the Louvre by train. The station also hosts regional trains and the RER, and also the Gare de Lyon metro station. The station itself consists of two main halls, one and two, with most lines above ground. Main line trains depart from 32 platforms. Hall number one contains tracks labelled from A to N, hall number two contains tracks numbered from 5 to 23. The RER services, that's a Rossell Express Regional or Regional Express Network, also operate from four platforms located underground, beneath the main lines from the halls above. At the time of the incident, there were four RER lines A through D, with line D still not complete and currently terminating at Gare de Lyon station. SNCF, or the Société Nationale de Chemins de Français. Translated is the French National Railway Company, is a state-owned company formed in 1938, and they own and operate the train network, which comprises of some 34,000 miles or 55,000 kilometres of track. Commuter train 153944 was running on RER Line D inbound from Melun in the southeast of Paris to Guerre de Lyon and had departed Melun on time at 5.38 p.m. The trip covers 80 miles, or 130 kilometres, and takes approximately 75 minutes from end to end. The 153944 train is an eight-carriage train, consisting of two four-carriage electric motor units, or EMUs, coupled together. The driver was 42-year-old Daniel Solen, who had worked for SNCF since he was 15 years old. The train's guard was Jean-Charles Bouvet, who had joined SNCF after leaving school, and had been a guard now for several years. Let's talk about the incident itself. At 6.36pm, the 153944 train began passing through Le Verte de Maison station, and just as the train was almost past the platform, a female passenger pulled the emergency stop cord, and the brakes were immediately applied. The passenger then exited the train onto the platform and exited the station before speaking to anybody. Following the incident, it was found that the passenger was a single mother, Odile Morat, who needed to get off at La Verte de Maison station in order to meet her children. However, Morat had misread the new summer timetable. When she realised the train wasn't stopping at La Verte de Maison, she panicked, pulling the emergency stop and exiting the train at her intended destination. For the train now to resume its journey, the train crew needed to reset the emergency stop mechanism and to reset the emergency brakes. Len called ahead about the incident over the radio, while Bouvet began the reset procedure. By 6.40pm, with the reset procedure still underway and the train remaining stationary, several of the passengers aboard got off of the platform and sought alternative means to reach their final destination. Bouvet attempted to reset the emergency cord handle, but the lever was stuck and wouldn't move. The reset lever itself was situated in the 20 inch or 50 centimeter gap between carriages 1 and 2, making it difficult for Solen, who was now attempting to move it himself, to gain any leverage. Solen finally managed to find a better handhold and was able to pull the lever. Despite this, the train's brakes still would not release. Believing the problem to be a common issue with the overpressurization of brakes following an emergency brake application, Solène proceeded to systematically bleed down each of the air brake lines on each carriage until the guard had indicated to him that the brakes had been released successfully. By 7.02pm, Solène had released the locked-up brakes on the train, and as the train departed the station, it was now a total of 26 minutes behind schedule. In the control room at Gare de Lyon station, the station controller on shift, Auguste André Talens, granted permission for Solène to run express through the next station to reduce the remaining time to reach Gare de Lyon and Solen accelerated up to 70 miles per hour to make up some of the lost time. At 7.04pm, the commuter train 153951 sat on Platform 2 in Guerre de Lyon station, waiting to depart. It was unable to depart due to a regulation that required that both a driver and a guard was present prior to departing. The train was unable to leave as the train guard had not yet arrived on Platform 2, Whilst the driver, André Tangy, had no option but to wait until the guard arrived, as is often the case when commuter trains are on major platforms, outbound on evening rush hour, many more people had boarded the train at that point while it had been waiting for an extended period on the platform. At 7.07pm, Solen's train approached a flashing amber light, warning to now reduce speed for the downhill grade into Gare de Lyon station. Travelling at this point at 60 miles per hour or 96 kilometres per hour, Solan began to apply his brakes gently to reduce the speed. However, the response from the brakes was almost unnoticeable. Despite this poor braking response due to the level grade of the track at that section, the train's speed dropped down to 20 miles per hour or 32 kilometres per hour. However, once it reached the 4 degree downhill grade into Gerd station, it once again picked up speed and the brakes at that point were of little use. Unsure if it was due to the driver's cab brake controller failing, the guard, Bouvet, paced the length of the train looking for the nearest handbrake to apply instead. At 7.07pm and 30 seconds, Solan's attempts to slow the train were only marginally effective. He then radioed ahead to the control room to report the situation, also pressing the driver alert button. The alert button sounded an audible alarm in the control room, as well as the driver's cabins of all trains in the nearby vicinity via the radio system. In response, all train signals were set to red to stop all trains, and all trains in the vicinity stopped in their current position and the entire central part of the train network ground to a standstill, except for one train. Still unable to stop, Solen moved all of the remaining passengers to the rear carriage of the train, where they positioned themselves in brace positions ready for an impact. At 7.07pm and 45 seconds, the guard for the train at Guerre de Lyon Platform 2, André Fouquet, had finally arrived at his train having spent an extended period assisting other passengers on the platform with directions. At this time, however, all traffic lights had been set to red and the train was no longer allowed to depart. Additionally, the driver of train 153951 sitting on platform 2, Andre Tangy, could not use the radio to determine the cause of the alarm or to take directions of how to proceed due to the radio alert that was still sounding. At 7:08 and 15 seconds, train 153944 passed the last switch point that could have diverted the train to an empty platform. It was now locked to platform two at Gare de Lyon station. 15 seconds later, with no options remaining, the control room announced over the station PA system to immediately abandon the train on platform two. Hearing the voiceover. Andre Tanji immediately relays the message to all of his passengers via the train's internal PA system to immediately deboard the train. At 7:08 and 45 seconds, seeing passengers were still on board his train, Tanji continued to relay the message over the train's PA system, knowing that at this point he could now no longer escape. At the moment of impact, the guard on the runaway train was just entering the rearmost carriage and he was able to retain his balance by simply holding the handrail. With plenty of warning to brace, most of the passengers in the rear carriage of the runaway train escaped serious injury. The stationary train on Platform 2 was not as fortunate. With 307 tonnes of the train colliding at approximately 50 miles per hour or 80 kilometres per hour, it left the leading carriage of the stationary train on Platform 2 split into two pieces. Eleven minutes after the incident had occurred, the first rescuers arrived on the scene, and they were confronted with people caught in the mangled steel wreckage, with nearly 100 people still trapped inside. Jacques Chirac, the mayor of Paris, and Michael Delbar, the minister of transport, visited the scene and were aghast at what they witnessed. It wasn't until midday, the following day, that all of the survivors had been rescued, and the trains were finally physically separated. The final tally, 60 people were injured, and 56 people had died. A six-person team were assigned to lead the investigation the day following the incident, and Jean-Pierre Pascal from the National Institute for Research on Transportation and Safety, or INRETS for short, was assigned as the Chief Technical Advisor. The train in this incident was a Model z 5300 or 5300, of which there were 140 other identical trains of that model in the Paris Metro Rail system at that time. If there was to be a common problem identified, then it could be very widespread. The primary brakes on the Z5300 are operated by compressed air, with the compressed air located at the engine carriage. Air is carried through the airlines that run the length of each carriage and an isolation valve at the junction between each carriage allows for separation and reconnection of carriages for maintenance purposes. Each carriage taps off the airline and uses the air pressure from that tap-in point to actuate its own brakes for that carriage. During the early stages of the investigation, it was found that the isolation valve that fed air from the engine carriage to all of the other brakes on the train was closed prior to the collision. As per the train's design, the braking system on each carriage did not release its brakes unless there was sufficient air pressure present at that carriage's own braking unit. Due to the closed air valve between the first and second carriage, the brakes never released, which was precisely as they had been designed. It was determined that during the emergency brake reset procedure, in their attempts to pull the reset lever, the airline isolating valve was inadvertently moved from its fully open position to a fully closed position, during interviews with Solen, he admitted he was attempting to gain more leverage to reset the emergency brake by placing opposing pressure on the only convenient gripping point, which happened to be the isolation valve. During the initial diagnosis of the brake problem, Solen had felt pressure to get the train moving again, and rather than radio back to Central Engineering to confirm his diagnosis, he pressed ahead with a brake line bleed. The narrow gap between the trains where they needed to work in order to move the emergency brake reset lever made it extremely difficult to work without inadvertently applying pressure on other components in such a small workspace. The driver did not understand enough about how the braking system was designed, and his actions had inadvertently disabled seven out of the eight brakes on the train. However, the failsafe design prevented the brakes from releasing, and Solen proceeded to bleed down each of the air brake lines on each carriage in an attempt to overcome a perceived overpressurization of the brakes, the procedure that would normally accomplish this would have only required a brief three second bleed down of each airline to reset those brakes. Having attempted this for significantly longer than three seconds, Solenz simply continued to bleed down each of the air brake lines on each carriage until the guard had indicated the brakes had been released. Solène had effectively removed all of the remaining air pressure such that the brakes could not operate at all, leaving only one functional air brake on the train on the engine carriage. Due to the delay, the control room authorised their train to run express through Maison-Alfort station, the only remaining planned stop for the train and hence there was no opportunity to properly test the brakes prior to reaching Gare de Lyon. Had the train been requested to stop at Maison-Alfort, it would have been clear that it could not have stopped and then by simply cutting power, being on level grade, the train would have stopped under friction alone from that point. Of note, there was a brief test of the brakes on the level grade at La Verte de Maison station before departing the platform, and that showed enough brake feedback to convince Solenn at that point the train's brakes were functioning correctly. That said, at a low speed on a level grade, it was hardly a definitive test. The Z5300 model also had a handbrake, which was intended only to hold the train in position on a level grade when the train was already stationary, but would essentially have been useless to stop the train at any speed. The Z5300 model also had an electric auxiliary brake that Solen had never used before, but the controller was actually in the driver's cab. Drivers at SNCF had hated using the electric brake it had a long history of causing air and electric brakes to lock up as they fought each other when simultaneously applied. In the panic of the situation, having never used the electric brake before, Solen forgot that it was there, and simply did not apply it. Calculations made by the investigative team following the incident showed that had the electric brake been applied shortly after Solen realised that he'd lost primary brakes, it would have been possible to slow the train to a speed where severe injuries would have been avoided and there would have been no casualties. It was also determined during the investigation that when Solen called into the control room to inform them he had no brakes, in his panic he did not identify himself nor what train he was driving. Hence, the control room had no way to know which train in the area had no brakes. When the control room tried to confirm who had radioed the message in, Solen had already left the driver's cab to get the passengers to safety at the rear of the train, and he had never heard their call back to him to confirm his identity the control room had no option left but to radio each of the four inbound trains to try and determine which train had no brakes, through a process of elimination. However, the general alert button that Solen had pressed prior to leaving the driving carriage sent an audible alarm through the radio system. Many train drivers had contacted the control room after the alert sounded to try and find out what was going on, and due to that barrage of calls, the control room no longer had time to determine which of the four inbound trains was actually out of control. The final set of points was pre-programmed to divert the Line 2 South to Platform 2 to Platform 1 in accordance with the new summer train timetable. However, the general shutdown alarm procedure meant that all automatic point switching was disabled and overridden only a few minutes before the points were due to switch positions. Hence, when it was those points time to switch, the override prevented the switch track from switching and hence the line remained pointing at Platform 2. Let's talk about the aftermath. The driver of train 153951, sitting on Platform 2, André Tangy, was estimated to have saved dozens of lives by not abandoning the train and staying on the train's PA until the last possible moment. The official investigation determined that the primary cause of the incident was driver error. Odile Marat, the woman that pulled the emergency brake on train 153944, Daniel Solen, the driver of that train, Auguste Andre Tollens, the station controller at Gare de Lyon, and Andre Fouquet, the guard from the train on the platform who was late, were all criminally charged. The final court ruling was passed down on Monday, the 14th of December, 1992. That Solen was principally responsible by taking too much time to reset his equipment and recklessly speeding up to make up lost time. Between this ruling and the subsequent appeal in early 1993. Solen was sentenced to four years' prison with six months suspended for involuntary manslaughter. André Fouquet, the guard of the train that was late arriving on platform 2, was also convicted of involuntary manslaughter, but received a two-year fully suspended sentence. Auguste André Tolens, the station controller, was acquitted, but also received a two-year fully suspended sentence. Odile Morat was fined 1,000 francs for illegally pulling the emergency brake. The court exonerated the state-run railway. SNCF, but ordered the company to pay the bulk of civil damages sought by survivors and the families of those killed. So, what do we conclude from all of this? There's a few conclusions I'd like to focus on, and they aren't exactly operator error. I want to talk first about training. When operators are asked to operate different models of trains with different configurations, they need to be sufficiently trained in the differences between how to operate each of the specifics of each of those trains. People think training is about learning how to do something correctly over and over, and sure, yes, that's a component of it. The most important part of operator training isn't how to start or stop and run, whatever it is necessarily, in the case of a train, but to handle upsets, unplanned activities, and worst-case scenarios. For high-risk activities like flying a plane, they have flight simulators that date back even to the late 1980s. Today, train simulators can also be used to close that gap, injecting faults into the system to test how a driver would react. With better training, Solin would have known about the air valve and would have likely remembered to have used the electric brake. The unions were unimpressed with the primary cause being placed on the driver, claiming that better training would have prevented the incident. Blaming the driver is the easiest and most superficial thing to do, and there are parallels here to a Magasaki in episode 6 of this show. The pressure to get the train running again and to make up that lost time distorts judgment, though there is no, no direct evidence to suggest Solen acted out of fear of disciplinary repercussions in this instance. Let's talk about the isolation handle and the reset lever. There's no question that the airline isolation handle was far too easily accessible. There was no retaining clip to prevent its accidental movement, and in fact during the appeals hearing in 1993, it was tabled that the valves themselves were not selected to the required mechanical standards of the time. Ultimately, if there's a single point of failure in this system, it's a really good idea to protect it, perhaps a little bit better than it was on the Z5300 model's original design. And as for the reset handle, which designer thought that it'd be a good idea to put it in that location? Needing to be outside the train, reaching between carriages to reset it, speaks to a design where it was not considered to be a frequent activity and hence it was most likely placed where it was easier and more cost effective rather than bringing the reset to a more user-friendly accessible location which is just bad design. How do you reset it in the rain in the snow and if you're not sitting on a train platform you'd have to climb between the carriages it's not smart. Now let's talk about the procedure the all stop. Firstly Drivers needed more training in how to use the radio system, but maybe that belongs at the training point I'd just covered. I learned very early in programming machine safety that when an emergency stop is pressed, you need to put the machine in a safe state. And that's the key, and you need to think that through, a safe state. That doesn't necessarily mean stopped or frozen. It means a safe state. In machine control, if you have a large press weighing 40 tonnes and someone hits the e-stop, You don't stop it in its tracks. You usually raise it, insert the chocks, and then de-energize it. If you didn't, the press would sink down under gravity and crush whatever was underneath it. Why I'm giving you that example should be pretty obvious. If you have a 307-ton train that's out of control at 80 kilometres an hour, the last thing you do is tell every other train and switching points to stop and not move. You should allow trains and points to operate normally and defer to the station controller to coordinate the best action to take. Clear a path, shunt the train to a different line where it's safer and hopefully empty. You can't and shouldn't try to automate that behaviour because there are literally thousands of possible combinations. Some of the possibilities would mean that stopping would make complete sense, but there would be others where it's the worst thing that you could possibly do, which is what happened here. Play out a scenario where the radio button only sounded an alarm in the station controller's control room and nowhere else. There would have been no flood of calls to the control room. The controller could have systematically confirmed which train was the runaway train through a process of elimination. No shutdown of the points would have meant that no further action would have been needed, and the runaway train would have been sent to its intended platform, platform 1. And yes, there would have been a mess with the buffers at the end of the platform, probably in which case the controller would have had plenty of time to clear that area of people and announced to all the other train drivers to hold their positions and the incident would have been unfortunate and messy but there would have been no casualties and very few injuries. So in the end, I guess I don't buy it. The engineers that designed the emergency alert system and procedures made too many simplifications and it was simply the wrong strategy. About six weeks after the incident, there was another incident, on Saturday the 8th of August, when a four-car commuter train crashed into a barrier at the end of the track in Paris's Gare de Lest station. A 29-year-old man was killed, and 57 people were injured. So soon after the Gare de Lyon incident, and with the findings not yet clear, unions blamed the government for both crashes and accused it of skimping on safety just to save money. The president of the SNCF at that point, Philippe Ruvillaud, had only been railway president for six months at that point, but resigned as a result of these two incidents. So there's two key points to make. Firstly, when you design anything that moves, don't always assume that stopping it or the things around it in a big hurry is always the safest option, because you might just be surprised that it isn't. Think about sources of energy and how you can dissipate that safely in a controlled fashion. When you've thought about a shutdown process, automatic or procedural, make sure you test every combination you can. Because it only takes one edge case to lead to an incident. Automation isn't always your friend. But finally though, training. I've just seen it time and time again. Train your people. Keep that training material and their training current. New equipment, new models, new procedures. Train them on them all. And when you train them, Train them how to cope when something goes wrong, not just when something goes right. It's safe to say that no operator in their right mind starts their shift wanting to break something or kill someone. So if it's a mistake that's made, ask how could it have been prevented? Hundreds of trained drivers in the SNCF didn't make that mistake when confronted with the same circumstances, so what made this day different for this driver? Even if it's easy to blame the operator error, The root cause, if you're really honest about it, usually has little to do with the operator specifically. Train for failure scenarios as much as success scenarios. Care about your training, the content, how it's delivered. Care about your operators keeping their training current. And the training never ends. SNCF, for all of the findings and the blame, landing almost entirely on one driver following that incident, Despite all of that, they still introduced additional safety improvement measures, including phasing out the poorly designed brake airline isolation levers. They introduced better training for drivers and guards, and they upgraded the switching point network for better consideration for overrides. And in the end, I feel like the final ruling from the courts punished one man. When it comes to lessons learned, the court's decision is really only an outcome in this case that benefited one man. Certainly, Daniel Solen won't make that mistake again. But a real root cause analysis won't just fix the outcome for one person. It should fix it for as many other people in future as possible. And why it matters to get the root cause analysis right and to understand truly what causes incidents is not to punish the softest option, but to prevent future injuries, future fatalities, and to stop bad outcomes from occurring. In the case of the incident at Gare de Lyon, it seems like the SNCF learned the right lessons from the incident, albeit with a driver carrying most of the blame, and ultimately at the cost of 56 people's lives. That seems like a pretty high price to me. If you're enjoying Causality and want to support the show, you can, via Patreon at patreon.com John or one word, with a thank you to all of our patrons and a special thank you to our silver producers Carsten Hansen and John Whitlow. And an extra special thank you to our gold producer, known only as R. Patron rewards include a named thank you on the website, a named thank you at the end of episodes, access to raw, detailed show notes, as well as ad-free, higher-quality releases of every episode. With patron audio now also available via individual Breaker audio feeds. So, if you'd like to contribute something, anything at all, there's lots of great rewards. And beyond that, it's all really, really appreciated. Beyond that, there's lots of other ways to help, like leaving a rating or a review on iTunes, favoriting this episode in your podcast player app, or sharing the episode, or the show with your friends, or via social. All of these things help others discover the show and can make a huge difference too. Causality is part of the Engineered Network and you can find it at engineered.network and you can follow me on the Fediverse at chigi at engineered.space or the network on Twitter at engineered net. This was Causality. I'm John Chiji. Thanks so much for listening.